Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. Acts chapter 2, would you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word? Acts 2, most of us are pretty familiar with this incredible passage of Scripture, the first church. The disciples are commissioned to make disciples of all nations here at Pentecost, empowered by the Spirit, different tongues falling on each one of them, making known in each one's language the wonderful works of God. People are looking on at this miracle. Peter preaches this powerful sermon, and he ends his sermon, Acts 2, verse 36, and look at what happens. At the end of his sermon, verse 36, Peter says, Therefore, Acts 2, 36, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's sort of the crux of his sermon right there. Verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Not beat over the head. Cut to the heart. That's really important. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off and as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, it says, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Verse 44 says, now all who believed were together. And they had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God to which we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, this is your time to speak to us. Your word is open. May our hearts be as well. May our eyes be, may our ears be. We want to behold, we want to hear all that you are. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you speak, please? I surrender my best efforts to the power of your spirit. Do what only you can. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said last Sunday, Vision Sunday, here is what we communicated. That as a church, we have this first vision statement as a community. A vision statement is a destination, a destination that we feel God has called us toward. And that's the destination uh, to be a Christ-centered community that makes an eternal impact on the world around us. The big idea of this is that we are not just some static, stagnant gathering of religious people. Someone say amen. 
We're, we're not just here to be at a middle school, okay? You have better things to do on a Sunday morning if that's the reason we're here. We are here week in and week out. We gather in homes week in and week out because we are after something. We are pursuing something. We are called to something. And that is to be something, and that is to impact somewhere. It is to be, a, as a church, a Christ-centered community, a community of people who exist and live centered around Jesus. And it's through that to make an eternal impact on the world around us. The greatest evidence to the value that a church brings to a community is if whether or not they were still there, would anybody notice, right? Would anybody notice if every one of us disappeared out of South Florida? Um, that would be the hope that we would make an eternal impact. Now, with that vision, that destination, also comes a mission, which is our transportation. This is the vehicle through which we Uber our way, just kidding, but we get our way to that calling that Jesus has called us to. And it's what we do here and now. It's what we're about. It's what we're filling our lives with. It's what all of this activity is about. And it is about centering our lives around following Jesus together, centering our lives around following Jesus together. We believe that this is Jesus's community. Amen. This is his church. So he's, he's the one who calls us to do things. He's the one who gives us the ideas. It's his word that illuminates our understanding as to what we're to be about. And when you get into God's word, we see the simple point that our existence as a people is to center around following Jesus as our savior and master. It's following him. It's not just, hey, I'm saved. I prayed a prayer, but it's pursuing him. Here's the way that we talked about it last week. We talked about this idea that salvation and discipleship are not two mutually exclusive things, right? Like I'm, I'm a saved person. Maybe one day I'll be a disciple. If I memorize enough Bible, maybe after this Thursday, I go to that class. I now know how to study the Bible and I have graduated to the rank of disciple. Nope. No, there is no rank in the church of Jesus Christ. Actually, I guess there is. There's one rank. His name is King Jesus. And all of us are his servants. All of us are his disciples. Salvation is the doorway to discipleship. To respond to Jesus' call to come to me for salvation is also to respond to his call that says, follow me. Come be my disciple. And the idea we talked about with discipleship, it's a, uh, more of a first century word. A modern word for discipleship maybe is apprenticeship. The idea is we're seeking to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, so that we as a community would become more and more like Jesus. Amen? And so that's what we're after. Salvation as the doorway to discipleship. But just as salvation is not mutually exclusive and is not optional or discipleship is not an elective to salvation just as they are inextricably linked let me say this so is community to discipleship salvation is the step and the doorway into discipleship discipleship is the doorway into community that's why again the key part of our mission statement there is that doesn't that look awesome right now hold on let me fix that it's that we would follow jesus Together, together. Uh, this is what we see with Jesus calling his disciples, don't we? Um, in, in as much as it was an individual call, you can read throughout the Gospels and you see the individual calls that Jesus gives to Peter and, and, and to John and to Matthew, the tax collector, and all these different lives that he called into discipleship. 
But those individual calls, they all had a collective call attached to it. So for Jesus to call Peter to follow him was also for Peter to follow Jesus with some other dudes. Some 12 dudes. And there was more disciples, but those 12 were kind of his inner circle. And they came from all sorts of walks of life. You have extremes. Jesus, the, the, the group that he assembled. I mean, talk about like uh, spread across as far extreme on the political polis as you can be. Uh, you have a guy named Matthew the tax collector who works for the Roman government. He's a Jew who's sold out his people. And then on the other side of the small group Bible study, okay, sitting across from each other, debating Jesus and how it applies to politics and the Roman Empire, you have a guy named Simon the Zealot. Simon was a Sicario. He was a, a, a dagger-wielding, guerrilla-tactic-using, sketchy hombre who would find themselves in crowds of people. They would pull out their daggers, daggers and these zealots, they would cut the necks of Roman soldiers and then disappear into the night. One is a, a rebel against the Roman government. One works for the Roman government. And Jesus goes, you two, follow me. Sit next to each other. I imagine that. I imagine like their first meeting. Jesus is like, no, Matthew, can you sit next to Simon? Come here, you know. And, and isn't there this tendency to kind of go, I don't like that kind of following Jesus. I like control. I'm an American. I like my options open. I like to be able to choose who I hang out with and choose who I don't. Now, here's the thing, okay? We don't get to choose who's in Jesus' church. It's by grace that we are all in it individually, amen? And with that call to follow Jesus and know him and be a part of his community, it's connected to doing so with all sorts of kinds of people. So in as much as we would say that um, it's not good for man to be alone, we see that in Genesis, we could also say it's not possible for man to be alone as a follower of Jesus. It involves community. It goes together all with our political differences, all with our different upbringings and personalities and differences and multi-generational, you know, values and lack of values, all of that thrown into this beautiful mess called the church. And here we are. And we certainly see that in the book of Acts. Did you guys see it there in Acts 2, this first church that's formed? We see in Acts, remember the disciples were commissioned to make other disciples and to teach them the ways of Jesus. And here's this early church and the way that the disciples are leading them in their newfound faith in Jesus as disciples of Jesus is to do life together. We see it there in, in almost every verse. It talks about continuing daily in one accord. I love that, in, in unity. Uh, the, the most simple, I think, explanation of this is verse 44. Did you see that? Now, all who believed were together. Just, that's important. That's not in there on accident. This is, a, this is a community of people following Jesus together. Um, and what we see here is that it's characterized, I see two things that, that characterize uh, this sort of community. First thing we see is we see true relational connection. True relational connection in this church. Um, this is not a church that gets together sitting shoulder to so shoulder just to enjoy a church service. This is a church that's meeting house to house. This is a church that's praying together face to face. This is a church that is studying God's word together and trying, I mean, imagine being the early church and being the first ones to spend your days reading the Old Testament to see Jesus. And that's what they're doing. 
and, and they're, they're talking about God's word together. They're doing great ancient practices like eating together. It's my favorite ancient practice, by the way, okay? It's one of the reasons why I follow Jesus, because everywhere he goes, he's eating with people. And I'm like, I'm, I sign up for that. I love that, all right? This is, a, this is a community of people that are not just connected shoulder to shoulder, side by side, in a superficial service way, surface way. This is a people who have a true relational connection that goes deeper than their similarities and their differences. Let me, let me say that um, there's a difference between relational chemistry and spiritual community. Sometimes spiritual community has relational chemistry. That's the best. Isn't that the best? When you're in your community group and like, we all click. Most of the time, it doesn't happen. Uh, Relational chemistry is not the same as relational spiritual community. Uh, That's maybe your friendships. Most most likely the the friends you have in your life are people that you've clicked with. But but these people who it says they have all things in common, right? That's funny that... um, that Luke points that out. They have all things in common. I'm pretty sure we just talked about two of them who have nothing in common politically. Right? It's like, let's put Ben Shapiro on this side and let's put the AOC on this side. And they get saved, they're in the church, and we say, they have all things in common. Uh, do you know them? Okay. And you know what Luke is saying? The truest thing about them unites them in a greater way than anything that could divide them. The truest thing about them unites them in a greater way than anything could divide them. That's amazing. So it's a relational connection that's not based just on chemistry and superficiality. But this is a people who are doing life together, being authentically known by each other because of their common love and salvation in Jesus. It's amazing the kind of friends you can have in Jesus that go beyond any other interest. Uh, We also see within this community deep personal devotion. We see true relational connection, but we see personal devotion. It tells us there in verse 42 that they continued steadfastly. All right, that's the whole commitment thing. I know that's like a a curse word in the American culture, right? Commitment, tied down. I don't like that. I like contracts. I like the option to opt out if I'm not getting what I need. But what the scriptures lead us into is a kind of relationship with God's people that's devoted, that's committed through thick and thin, that's going to walk through this mess together. This is deep and true community, deep and true community. Um, And I want to just say that this is, by the way, this is an essential piece of, of true relational connection. You really can't have any true relational connection with God's people without some deep personal devotion. Uh, One of the most formative experiences of my life was being a part of a discipleship school within which I had no option to bail on the 20 other Christians that I did life with for four months. Okay, It's like marriage, right? They say marriage is for happiness, but we all know it's also for holiness. And you do life together, and you, and you go, wow, we made a vow to each other. And it's amazing. We always want, we want to back out when it gets hard, but the real work is when Jesus brings us back to that place of sticking through this thing. That's where he starts to do some things in our lives, that commitment. And I had a real formative experience in my life in a discipleship school. It was, I met my wife there, so that's why it was also the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, but 
four months there, I, I'm, I mean, I'm in close quarters with 20 other people that are there to get to know Jesus. And, you know, the first couple of weeks, everyone's got their wall up, and God bless you, brother. And we're all just saints of the Lord the first couple of weeks. And then by the third week, we don't know if any of us are saved is kind of how it goes. It's kind of community. It's like, okay. Um, but over time, what God does is, is, listen, like the Bible says in Romans 12, let love be without hypocrisy. Are we called to love each other? The question is how? This deep? With a smile? You know what love looks like? Love looks like when you share in your community the thing that you're going through and that person, though it's time to leave, they sit, sit by your side and they pray with you. They call you the next morning, they check up on you. Love looks like that person in your community that you confess your sin to and they reinforce and remind you of the gospel of Jesus. And they say, listen, there's no mess that Jesus didn't take on himself. I don't need to reject you. I accept you because, listen, I should be rejected for my sin. I love you the way that God has loved me. That's love. That only can happen through some devotion, through some commitment. That's what we see here. And this is, again, this is so important. Andrew, why are you harping on this so much? There is this quote by Greg Laurie that I read about six or seven years ago that I think has struck me in an in a indelible way, left an indelible mark on how I see the local church. Um, and it's so biblical. Greg Laurie said this. He said, when the church is training its people to be consumers rather than communers, we end up with customers rather than disciples. Consumers. Consumers. No. Jesus doesn't say, whoever wants to follow me, May he take up his list of preferences and bring them to the church. He says, give up your life in the service of relationship to God, in the service of relationship to each other, in the service of relationship to the world around you. That's the call. And this, this is, has really, I think, formed a lot of, of our vision for this church, man. I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've, um, I'm just kind of tired of customer church. I'm just kind of tired of thinking about Jesus' church in a way that's transactional. That's not what he has for us. He didn't save us to be customers. He saved us and brought us to himself for such an incredible ultimate purpose that can only be accomplished when we do life together. It's huge. Now, the opposite of this uh, the counter or contrast of what we see here in Acts, it's really one word, right? We all know it. It's isolation. Isolation. You ever been isolated? It's Christian isolation. It's Jesus and me discipleship. Um, it's rooted in independence, a lack of interdependence on God's people. It's rooted in really American culture, individualism, which is a Western thing. That In our culture, we think about our decisions based upon how they're going to affect me. You go to the Middle East, you go to other parts of the world, decisions are based on the benefit of the community. So much of how we approach church is so American. It's individual. It's about me. Uh, but, but Jesus did not say, on this rock, I will build isolated, individual, independent Christians. A dangerous place to be when you are your own wise counselor. So, so isolation, it's, it's, again, it's not compatible with following Jesus, the Jesus we see in Scripture. So a good question that we need to ask ourselves is, well, then, what is our calling? And we established that. It's community. Um, and here's the way that we can think about it. I isolation, let's be honest, is all of our tendency. 
but community is all of our calling, right? All, isolation is our tendency. Every one of us, in some way or another, we have a tendency to just be alone, to not open up as much, to not be present as much, or only be present when I'm on a good day. Isolation is our tendency, but community is our calling, amen? It's our calling. We're, we're not called to follow according to our tendencies. We're called to follow in, in line with the words of Jesus. Um, and, and so here's a good question, right? So being people that trend towards a natural state of isolation, um, being that we know that's, that's how we tend to follow Jesus, how can we as a community, we got soulless communities coming up, but let's look into our lives. How can we as, as a people, as individuals, how can we move from our natural state of isolation towards our calling of deep and true community? How can we get there? Let me give you a few suggestions of how I think we can get there. I think a first really important thing to move us from isolation as a community towards community is to begin by calling out the counterfeits of community. Counterfeits. A counterfeit is not a, uh, um, it's not a blatant false thing. It's a subtle false thing. Satan specializes in counterfeit tactics. If he can't, uh, dis, uh, if he can't um, lead you to walk through front door isolation, which just looks like not showing up to church maybe, what he will do is he'll subtly deceive you into living a sort of backdoor counterfeit version of community that looks like community but is isolated still. How many of us know that we can be isolated in community? You can show up every Sunday with your worship face but with your depressed heart and not tell anybody. Couples, anybody fight in the car before worship before? Before church? Oh, just me? Just before my sermons? Thank you. It's, sometimes it's like Sunday morning. Brett, can we schedule a fight on Sunday morning? That would be a perfect time to have a disagreement, right? There's counterfeits to community. Can I give us a couple? Let me give you three counterfeits to community. Um, spiritual activity, social popularity, digital connectivity. Three modern monsters opposing what Jesus has called us to. Spiritual activity. I'm always at church. I'm always serving. I'm always doing. I'm always present. Well, you can be present and not be yourself. I, I mean, I talk to people about this all the time because a lot of, you know, in our cultural expression of the church, you know, there was a time where there was like one church in one city, like Acts. So it's like, I can't go to the other church if the music's not good enough. I'm going to go this one, you know, or like the, the, the kids' ministry is like, you know, they didn't wipe my kid's nose enough. I don't know, right? It was like, well, we got one church. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm going to try the other one. There's not another one. This is it, <laughs> you know. Um, but today, there's options. There's all sorts of churches. And you should find the right church, a theologically driven church, a spirit-filled church, a mission-focused church. But, you know, I, I think with that comes all sorts of dynamics. And often with a lot of young people who have maybe more time on their hands, I hear all the time, you know, hey, hey are you cool if I go to this church and then go to this church and I'm, I'm going to go to this? For and listen, like, we are one church, Amen. So, like, I know some people, there's people that help out at another church to meet a need of a ministry, and that's beautiful. We celebrate that for the kingdom. But if what your spiritual activity is giving you is a bunch of superficial surface relationships and nobody really knows who you are because you're hiding from service to service, that's not community. So what I'll say is, listen, like, if you got the time on your hands, like, that's great. Like, be busy about the things of God, but never at the expense of committing to a local church. 
You should have a people that you've committed to that you're doing life with. Amen? So spiritual activity does not equal community. All right? Social popularity. Everybody knows me. Do they? <clears throat> popularity doesn't mean community. Having, having quantity of acquaintances is no match for having quality friendships. And we see this, I mean, today we see this in, the, in Hollywood, right? We see how many celebrities, I think of Robin Williams. And the question everyone's asking after Robin Williams took his own life was, how could someone so famous be so lonely? Community is not synonymous with popularity. You can, you can, you can have deep community and only know five people. It's more than popularity. It's more than being known. It's, it's more than your Instagram followers. Okay? Uh, and that will lead us to digital connectivity. <coughs> um, there, are been, there have been countless studies. I mean, there are hundreds of studies that are showing this. That the rise of digital connectivity is trailing only behind to the rise of individual loneliness. We are more connected than ever before and, and more lonely than ever before. Because we often settle for digital forms of community that's not community. Okay, your Facebook friends, uh, listen, those aren't your friends. <laughs> your followers? You don't do life with them. I'm not saying, like, listen, I have social media. Um, I, I love it for the right things. I use it to enjoy the things that God has given me. Like I post a lot about my son skating or, or if I think something's funny and sometimes inappropriate, I'll post it and I shouldn't, but um, look, that's funny. Um, or, you know, um, but something that powerful requires a lot of responsibility. Something that could be used for so much good could also be used for a lot of destruction, and it is. It's especially destroying this next generation that is losing their ability to have face-to-face -face relationships. We are made in the image of God, guys. As human beings made in the image of God, we were created to know each other like Moses knew God face to face. Face to face. There's just something about a face to face relationship that you can't convey with an emoji. So like I've, I've had to be really strategic about friends that I've had in my life that were accountability but have moved out of town and we still keep up with each other, but those, now those friends that are out of town, they're not my community anymore, those are my friends. Do you understand that? That language is important, all right? Uh, these are some counterfeits. Now, once we step into recognizing that there are counterfeits and we call them out, uh, the next thing we need to do is we need to then believe in the benefits. We gotta call out the counterfeits. This is how Satan deceives us. A lot of us right now, we are in a community, but we're not in community. We're known by people, but nobody really knows me. We're connected online, but what kind of face-to-face -face relationships do we have? We're busy, but we're not in community. Uh, we got to call out those counterfeits. We got to resist the devil, and he's going to flee from us. Uh, but then we need to wholeheartedly, this is only going to work if we believe in the benefits. Uh, don't you, isn't it interesting, this church, um, it, one of the first things that they did, it tells us in verse 43, is they continued steadfastly. We're going to study through this more and look at their practices next week. But it says they continued steadfastly. The first thing that they did as a community was they studied the apostles' doctrine, which was the teachings of Jesus. And th imagine that. Imagine sitting with the disciples, and the disciples are regurgitating the Sermon on the Mount, right? 
And, you know, and then Peter starts telling his story of the crow. He's like, oh, it, you know, the rooster, it crowed once. And the disciples are like, come on, Peter, three times, bro, you know, right? Like, they're kind of filling in all the details together. They're teaching the stories of the Gospels. They're teaching the, the teachings of Jesus. And, and imagine just the disciples saying, you know, guys, um, as a church, it's so much more about us just loving God. Jesus taught that our love for each other was directly connected to our love for God. Jesus said things in John 13, 35. John's like, it's going to be published one day. It's going to be a great book. In John 13, 35, it says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So imagine imagine the, the, the Apostle John talking to the early church saying, Guys, listen, like, it doesn't matter how much we know. You guys are all proficient in the Torah. Yeah, you're obedient. Yeah, you keep the law. If we don't love each other, we're not loving Jesus. Imagine hearing that language. And here's what's interesting. It's like they believed it. They, so they go, oh, let's do life together then. They, they were, imagine a church that lived in agreement with what Jesus said. Not just like, we know what he said, yay! We study it, we quote it, we memorize it. Do we do it? Do we really believe it? And when we talk about believing in what Jesus taught about community, like this church did, uh, we're, we're talking about trusting that he knows best, guys. Like, do we know a God like this? Do we know a God that whenever he gives us a commandment, it's for our benefit? Right? Not our suffering. <laughs> God, why? Why, Lord? It's been said that anytime God tells us no, it's because he has a greater yes. No, why? Because yes, over here. God, why, why are you saying to do my relationship? Why are you restricting how I'm dating my girlfriend to, to function in this way and to keep our hands off each other? Because I want you to have a blessed marriage, not just a good time as a dating couple. You know, every time God says no, it's because he has a greater yes. There are benefits. It's why he says to trust him. Now, uh, let me point out, I think, what are a couple inspiring benefits of community. One that I want to start with is sharpening sharpening. This is, this is a benefit of community that you cannot get in isolation. You can only be so sharp in isolation. And I want to say, I don't know if you know this, but uh, scripture calls us to be sharp, okay, to be sharp. It's in a book that we're going to study in September. It's in Ecclesiastes. Uh, great wisdom here in Ecclesiastes says that if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he who must, he must use more strength, but wisdom brings more success. Okay, you know those steak knives that the first time you got them, they could cut through cold butter, okay? That's a thing, right? Hot butter, but cold butter, it's harder, okay? I mean, they were sharp. And then just the other day, I was cutting, Judah loves his crust off his PB&J. I like it too, because I get to eat it, but um, as I'm cutting his pb it's like, this, this knife used to be much sharper. I need to sharpen it. it now I've got to use more strength. I'm on the kitchen table with a steak knife about to cut my finger off, you know, like trying to cut this sandwich. Um, and what a simple principle. Uh, some of us, listen, we are exhausted. We are exhausted spiritually. Our strength has left us. And we've lost our sharpness. And it's because we're doing life alone. How do I experience sharpening? Well, Proverbs tells us that as, one, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. 
Do you know how you experience sharpening so that you don't have to be exhausted spiritually? You spend time with God's people. You do life with God's people. And here's what happens. I know it's a pretty verse. Oh, sharpening. It's like we should name our men's ministry that or something. Yeah, sharp, you know. But like, sharpening is not painless. Like, for two, like, we're sharpening each other. Usually what that looks like is we disagree. Okay? Um, and, and this is going to happen in the church, uh, certainly. Um, because when you're in the church of Jesus, you are, um, it's interesting how you're exposed and connected to people that you would never do life with elsewhere. Like, any other community, you'd just be like, I'm going to quit this community. Right? For how many differences? Right? Whether they be political differences, uh, personality differences, I think this way, they think this way. I act this way, I don't know why they act that way in public, okay? And those kind of differences, they tend to draw us apart, and even though Jesus has called us together, how about core value differences? Like, I've been in rooms where Christians, it's so funny when Christians argue each other with the Bible. So you guys are quoting from the same book. How about just, we believe the whole thing. Minor doctrinal differences. And, and listen, what Jesus calls us to is, those, is relationships with those difficult, different kind of people that Jesus, listen, they are not a curse in your life. They're a blessing. The people in your life that you wish you could stop, that person at work, even, come on. God put them there for you. That's, that's hard to swallow. But it's true. I mean, he, he puts people in our lives who are different because they're, they're able to sharpen us in ways that nothing else can. I don't want to be a dull Christian. I want to be effective in the hand of my master. Amen? And it's going to happen through community. Now, sharpening is huge. Another, another big thing is straightening. Straightening is also a major part of community. Um, the idea of straightening is that uh, my tendency is to sort of... Uh, we, we need, we need, by the way, this, this is something that's often only realize when you isolate yourself and you crash and you thought you had the power in and of yourself to walk the straight and narrow on your own and what you realized is your, is your life is a lot like my car. The alignment's off. So even though my mind is set on what's straight, if I were to take my hands off the steering wheel for a minute, right? And so it is with following Jesus. We need to understand that though we are born again, though we are saved, there is a flesh that is warring against the spirit in your life. And the tendency of that flesh is not to go straight. Anybody ever experienced this? The tendency is to get out of that lane and go this way. And so God brings community in our life for such an effective purpose. Look at Hebrews 3.13 says, to exhort one another daily while it is still called today. While you have the opportunity before you wreck your life, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This is huge. Most of us don't walk away from Jesus in a day. I'm an abandoned ship, right? I'm giving up the fullness of the presence of his joy. I'm giving up an eternity. I'm, you know, most of us in our logical mind would not just jump ship. That's usually not how people who were once in the church and no longer in the church, that's usually not how people walk away from Jesus. It's usually the subtle process of being alone, of justifying the direction you're moving in, and then over time, as you get deceived, you begin to get hardened. Hardened. 
And I don't want that to happen to any of us. We, we need to have soft hearts before Jesus. And that's why community is so valuable. It's kind of like uh, this, this high-tech van we have. There's like my personal car, and then there's our family van. And it has this great feature that with just the push of the button, you can see your blind spot. It's a great thing, because I've probably almost uh, harmed many people with not seeing what's in that blind spot. Anybody else? You ever had that? Okay, all right. And in just a push of a button, you get this view outside the, the back right uh, uh, wheel well there. <laughs> Communities like that. Community provides people in your life to see what you don't see. To, to see the things in your life that would wreck your life without them speaking into it and helping straightening you out. Um, also, this is an important part of community, strengthening. Strengthening. Um, we talked about this a little bit already. Um, Hebrews talks about both of these ideas. I love Hebrews uh, Hebrews chapter, what is it here? Hebrews 12 says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and make straight your paths. So we see both ideas there. Strong, uh, strength in our walk and straightness in our walk. And, and strengthening is also such a major part of this. Uh, he, uh, Ephesians talks all about the community operating this way. Ecclesiastes talks specifically about the danger of someone who is weak by themselves, right? Falls down, woe, is, woe to him who has no one there to pick him up. Um, I think one of my favorite examples of community and strength in the scriptures are that of David when he's running from Saul in the wilderness, exhausted, tired, burnt out. Um, I'll read it to you. It says in 1 Samuel 23 that David stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Look at this. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Now, David's chosen to be the next king of Israel. No man is going to stop that. Saul is doing everything in his power to stomp David out of the history of this earth. But God is protecting David. So David's running from King Saul, but God is not going to let Saul find him. Isn't that incredible? But notice this. How cool is this? Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the wilderness. I just love that. I love that God was not going to let Saul find David, but God knew that David needed a friend, so God made a way for Jonathan to show up in his life. That's just so cool. And it says this, that Jonathan went to David in the wilderness, and I think I have it up there for you, and it says this, that he strengthened his hand in God. He strengthened his hand in in God. What's really cool is it doesn't say that, that Jonathan solved all of David's problems. Okay, David, here's how you get out of the wilderness. Here's how we're going to kill Saul. All right. David, here's why you're in your circumstance. How many of us know sometimes the best friend we can be is just to be present? I don't have the answers to strengthen your mind, but I do know the gospel of Jesus. I do know the faithfulness of Jesus, and may that strengthen your hand to keep it on the plow. How many of us know that sometimes following Jesus can get tiring? And he says, put your hand to the plow, but sometimes my hand gets tired. Sometimes I get weak. Sometimes I'm discouraged. I need community to bring strengthening. And I want to say lastly, stirring. Stirring. Uh, this is also so valuable to community. We have the importance of sharpening. We have straightening. We have strengthening. And we also have stirring. This is what Hebrews tells us in chapter 10. It says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Stirring it up. Understanding that our natural tendency in our hearts is to get kind of stale. But there's something about being here on a Sunday. There's something about being in a community with God's people that sort of breaks up the fallow ground. And we're stirred up. We're inspired. Man, we hear a testimony from Drew and Caroline. We're like, man, I want to get involved in a community like that. 
I want to experience what God do, has done in their life. It's, it's a stirring that happens that we can't get on our own. Community. We've got to call out the counterfeits, believe in the benefits, and then I'll invite the worship team to come up to close us out, and uh, we'll just respond with this thought. <coughs> what are the obstacles that you need to overcome? Like right now where you're seated, as we close in this song of worship, I just want you to think about what in your heart and life hasn't the gospel transformed when it comes to relating to the other people in this room? Where hasn't the power of Jesus touched in your relationships? What is the real obstacle right now that's keeping you from community? Is it fear? Fear of commitment? Fear of rejection? And do you need Jesus to remind you that when there's great love, fear gets cast out and you can trust him? Maybe it's not fear. Maybe it's just like your American priorities. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what, the reason why I'm not in community is because I don't, according to how I manage my schedule and prioritize my life, I might say I believe it, but I'm clearly not convinced of it because I don't prioritize it. I don't prioritize being with God's people. I wasn't even really planning on signing up for a community. Have you bought into some American form of Christianity that the gospel wants to call you out of? The gospel gives us a savior who gives up his whole life for us and calls us to do the same. Look into your heart, look into your life and ask God, what are the obstacles keeping me from trusting you in community? And ultimately, listen, it's rooted in this. Do I trust you, God? Do I trust that your ways are better than my ways? Maybe that's what we have to do real quick as we do business with God. We're going to close with this song. Uh, while you're seated, just take a moment. If the Lord leads you to stand to worship, uh, what, however you need to respond. But let's just respond to God here in this moment and ask him to reveal the things in our heart that we're holding on to. And let it be his love, a love demonstrating and sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, victoriously rising from the grave. Let it be the, the image of that love that motivates us to surrender our lives to him. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.